Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, we come once more to this great spiritual season of Lent, a time of preparation, self-examination, introspection. You know, Lent is the earliest it's been since the mid-19th century. It's one of the earliest Easter seasons we've had in a long time. Well, Lent is a time to do the hard work of the Spirit. The hard work of the Spirit. If this seems strange or counterintuitive, just think of the numerous analogs in our ordinary experience. Athletes return year after year to training camp. Even professional football players go back to the fundamentals every summer. Baseball players now, as I record this homily, are about to return to spring training, and they once more go over how to swing the bat, how to throw the ball, how to hit the cutoff man. They do the basics. Musicians, even great high-level musicians, practice again and again, returning to the fundamentals. Many people slog through the hard work of keeping in physical shape, getting back every day to these fundamental moves. And so, why should the spiritual life be any different? Once again, on this first Sunday, the church brings us back to the desert with Jesus and brings us back to the garden in the book of Genesis. Let me talk first about that compelling story of Adam and Eve. What is it about this story that remains so fascinating to us after all these centuries? Well, it tells some of the most elemental truths that must be accepted and wrestled with in the spiritual life. The church brings us back to it over and over again because it's so fundamental. What do we notice in it? We notice that God planted a garden in Eden and placed the first humans there. What does God want for us? Life and life to the full. That's what God wants. Never stop telling yourself that. I said last week that God is chesed. He's tender mercy, compassion. What does he want for us? Life. In this beautiful symbolic story, it suggested through the use of the image of the garden, a place of delight, of color, of vitality, a place where our powers are energetically engaged. I've said to you before, the church fathers read Adam and Eve at play in the Garden of Eden as humanity at its best. The great permission that God gives Now, we'll get to the prohibition. He does give a prohibition, but we mustn't overlook the tremendous permission he gives. Go eat of all the the fruit of all the trees in the garden. The church fathers read this as an invitation to science, politics, 
art, culture, conversation, friendship, all the things that make life rich, all those ways that our powers are awakened and engaged. That's what God wants for us in this garden of delight. But there is also a prohibition. It is only from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, you shall not eat it or even touch it lest you die. What does this symbolic tree mean, and why is it placed at the very center of the garden? Look, if the garden means full human flourishing, if it means the engagement of our powers, what stands as the anchor and at the heart of that process? A keen sense of good and evil. I want to be a success as a politician. What must I know? I must know very keenly the difference between good and evil. I want to be a success as an artist. I mean now a spiritual success, not a commercial success. I've got to know the difference between right and wrong in the aesthetic order. I want to be a good friend. What must I know? I must know the difference between good and evil. Friends, the condition for the possibility of human flourishing is a very clear sense of the objective difference between right and wrong. Without that, the play of the garden becomes something terrible and destructive. Listen now. Whose prerogative is good and evil? Not ours. We're at play in the field of the Lord. Good. We're engaging our powers. Terrific. But we don't ourselves, through the power of our minds and wills, determine the difference between right and wrong. Rather, that belongs uniquely to God. You see what the story is saying? If God and his criterion, grounded in his own mind, remain at the center of your life, then it becomes a garden, a place of delight. But what happens now as the story unfolds? Adam and Eve, seduced by the serpent, see the fruit of this tree as something delightful, something alluring, and so they grasp it. They seize it for themselves. What have they done? They have said, we, in our freedom... Our minds, our wills now become the criterion of good and evil. We will decide what's right and wrong. We will determine the difference between good and evil. This is at the heart of the disaster on the biblical reading. All of our agony and struggle in the spiritual sense flow from this fundamental mistake. Here's a detail that I know I've shared with you before, but I think it's so important. How does the serpent construe God as he seduces Adam and Eve? He says, oh look, I know why he's prohibiting this tree. It's because if you eat of it, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. He's jealous of you. Friends, that lie has been believed up and down the ages to the present day. 
It's the lie that God is a rival to us. That God's glory is bought at the expense of our agony. Only when we're put down is God elevated. See, all of that on the biblical reading is a lie. And it flows from the father of lies. It's precisely when we surrender to the objectivity of God's criterion of good and evil that we find life. We're not subjugated by this surrender. We're not belittled by it. We are elevated by it. The trouble is all of us sinners, descendants spiritually of Adam and Eve, believe this same lie. What's the result of their eating of the tree? Expulsion from the garden. Don't read it as God falling into a snit. God becoming punitive and irrational. God is just mad they broke his arbitrary law so he expelled them. No, no. The Bible speaks a kind of spiritual physics. See what I mean? Physics deals in these basic laws. If you do this, that will happen. You mix this chemical and that, something will happen. Well, something similar is true in the spiritual life. When you seize at the knowledge of good and evil, you make your will the criterion of right and wrong, you, ipso facto, leave the garden. Not because God's being difficult. It's just a fact of the spiritual life. The garden will become a place of lifelessness and aridity, a desert rather than a garden. Sound familiar? It should. This is our story. This is the human story to the present day. The dynamics of this garden are going on all the time right now. God holding out to us life and life to the full, but we stubbornly seizing at the knowledge of good and evil, we making ourselves the ground and criterion, turn the garden into a desert. Okay, it's true, we know it. But the story doesn't end there. The story culminates in the journey of the Son of God into that desert. When Jesus begins his public ministry, where does he go? Into the desert. What does it mean? It means he goes into our sin. He goes to accompany us in this place to which we've wandered. And there he confronts the devil. How beautifully now the church juxtaposes these stories. The devil tempting Adam and Eve, and now the devil tempting Jesus. And Jesus standing in the place of our sin. He holds out to him, of course, three classic paths. Three classic ways in the desert. When we've rejected God as the criterion of good and evil, we tend to wander in three typical ways. First, we make sensual pleasure the center of our concerns. We make eating, drinking, and sex our dominant preoccupations. What is this but a source of great mischief? For only God can legitimately fill the central position. That's why Jesus now confronts this temptation. The devil says, turn these stones into bread. I know how hungry you are. Make sensual pleasure the center of your life. On our behalf, in the desert, Jesus 
resists. Oh, once we've wandered into that arid place, we can make honor our central preoccupation no longer God, but our own reputation, being seen by everybody, admired, thought highly of. Well, Jesus confronts this too. The devil takes him to the parapet of the temple, the high point of the most important building in the most important city of the time. Everyone can see him. He's at the tip-top of his society. Ah, that's where people who seek honor want to be. But Jesus resists this temptation too. He knows that the will of God must be central in human life. Finally, those of us who've wandered into the desert, who've turned away from making God the center of our lives, we tend to be tempted by power. Oh, from political dictators and tyrants to families and friendships, power is a deeply alluring thing. Well, Jesus confronts this temptation too. The devil takes him to the top of a high mountain and in one glance shows him all the kingdoms of the world. These I will give to you if you but bow down and worship me. Ah, once God has been eliminated, this becomes a very powerful temptation. And Jesus, for us, resists it. Be gone, Satan. God alone shall you serve. Friends, as Lent begins, here's the question to ask. What are you seeking? What are you making the center of your life? Is God clearly at that central place? If not, something else is tempting you. Pleasure, honor, power. Where are you in the desert? Cling to Jesus, who on your behalf resists and turns that desert back into a garden. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. Cardinal George says, It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 43 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries willing to help you during times of loss. Call 708-449-6100 for assistance. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.